Section six of the Charwoman's Daughter by James Stevens, chapters eleven and twelve. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read for you by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter eleven. When Mrs. Make-Believe came home that night, she seemed very tired and complained that her work at Mrs. O'Connor's house was arduous beyond any which she had yet engaged in. She enumerated the many rooms that were in the house, those that were covered with carpets, the margins whereof had to be beeswaxed, those others only partially covered with rugs, which had to be entirely waxed. The upper rooms were uncarpeted and unrugged, and had therefore to be scrubbed. The basement, consisting of two red-flagged kitchens and a scullery, had also to be scoured out. The lady was very particular about the scouring of wainscotings and doors. The upper part of the staircase was bare and had to be scrubbed down, and the part down to the hall had a thin strip of carpet on it, secured by brazen rods. The margins on either side of this carpet had to be beeswaxed, and the brass rods polished. There was a great deal of unnecessary and vexatious brass of one kind or another scattered about the house and as there were four children in the family, besides Mrs. O'Connor and her two sisters, the amount of washing which had constantly to be done was enormous and terrifying. During their tea, Mrs. Make-Believe called to mind the different ornaments which stood on the parlor mantelpiece and on top of the piano. There was a china shepherdess with a basket of flowers at one end of the mantelpiece and an exact duplicate on the other. In the center, a big clock of speckled marble was surmounted by a little domed edifice with Corinthian pillars in front, and this again was topped by the figure of an archer with a bent bow. There was nothing on top of this figure, because there was not any room. Between each of these articles there stood little framed photographs of members of Mrs. O'Connor's family, and behind all there was a carved looking-glass with beveled edges, having many shelves, each shelf had a cup or a saucer or a china bowl on it. On the left-hand side of the fireplace there was a plaque whereon a young lady dressed in a sky-blue robe crossed by means of well-defined stepping-stones a thin but furious stream. The middle distance was embellished by a cow and the horizon sustained two white lambs, a brown dog, a fountain, and a sundial. On the right-hand side, a young gentleman clad in a crimson coat and yellow knee-breeches carried a three-cornered hat under his arm, and he also crossed a stream which seemed the exact counterpart of the other one, and whose perspective was similarly complicated. There were three pictures on each wall, nine in all. Three of these were pictures of ships, three were pictures of battles, two portrayed saintly but emaciated personages sitting in peculiarly disheartening wildernesses, each wilderness containing one cactus plant and a camel. One of these personages stared fixedly at a skull. The other personage looked with intense firmness away from a lady of scant charms in a white and all-too-insufficient robe. Above the robe, a segment of the lady's bosom was hinted at bashfully. It was probably this the personage looked firmly away from. The remaining picture showed a little girl seated in a big armchair and reading with profound culture the most massive of Bibles. 
She had her grandmother's much cap and spectacles on, and looked very sweet and solemn. A doll sat bolt upright beside her, and on the floor a kitten hunted a ball of wool with great earnestness. All these things Mrs. Make-Believe discussed with her daughter, as also of the carpet, which might have been woven in Turkey or elsewhere, the sideboard that possibly was not mahogany, and the chairs and occasional tables whose legs had attained to rickets through convulsions, the curtains of cream-colored lace which were reinforced by rep hangings and guarded shutters from Venice, also the deer's head which stood on a shelf over the door and was probably shot by a member of the family in a dream and the splendid silver tankards which flanked this trophy and were possibly made of tin mrs make-believe further spoke of the personal characteristics of the householder with an asperity that was still restrained she had a hairy chin, said Mrs. Make-Believe. She had buck teeth and a solid smile, and was given to telling people who knew their business how things ought to be done. Beyond this, she would not say anything. The amount of soap the lady allowed to wash out five rooms and a lengthy staircase was not as generous as one was accustomed to, but possibly she was well-meaning enough when one came to know her better mary make-believe apropos of nothing asked her mother did she ever know a girl who got married to a policeman and did she think that policemen were good men her mother replied that policemen were greatly sought after as husbands for several reasons firstly they were big men and big men are always good to look upon secondly their social standing was very high and their respectability undoubted Thirdly, a policeman's pay was such as would bring comfort to any household, which was not needlessly and criminally extravagant, and this was often supplemented in a variety of ways, which rumor only hinted at. There was also the safe prospect of a pension, and the possibility of a sergeantship, where the emoluments were very great. And fourthly, a policeman, being subjected for many years to a rigorous discipline, would likely make a nice and obedient husband. Personally, Mrs. Make-Believe did not admire policemen. They thought too much of themselves, and their continual pursuit of and intercourse with criminals tended to deteriorate their moral tone. Also, being much admired by a certain type of woman, their morals were subjected to so continuous an assault that the wife of such a one would be worn to a shadow in striving to preserve her husband from designing and persistent females. Mary Make-Believe said she thought it would be nice to have other women dying for love of one's husband, but her mother opposed this with the reflection that such people did not die for love at all. They were merely anxious to gratify a foolish and excessive pride, or to inflict pain on respectable married women. On the whole, a policeman was not an ideal person to marry. The hours at which he came home were liable to constant and vexatious changes, so that there was a continual feeling of insecurity, which was bad for housekeeping. And if one had not stability in one's home, all discipline and all real home life was at an end. There was this to be said for them, that they all loved little children. But, all things considered, a clerk made a better husband, his hours were regular, and, knowing where he was at any moment, one's mind was at ease. 
Mary make-believe was burning to tell someone of her adventure during the day, but although she had never before kept a secret from her mother, she was unable to tell her this one. Something, perhaps the mere difference of age, and also a kind of shyness, kept her silent. She wished she knew a nice girl of her own age, or even a little younger, to whose enrapt ear she might have confided her story. They would have hugged each other during the recital, and she would have been able to enlarge upon an hundred trivialities of moustache and hair and eyes, the wonder of which older minds can seldom appreciate. Her mother said she did not feel at all well. She did not know what was the matter with her, but she was more tired than she could remember being for a long time. There was a dull aching in all her bones, a coldness in her limbs, and when she pressed her hair backwards it hurt her head. So she went to bed much earlier than was usual. But long after her regular time for sleep had passed, Mary Make-Believe crouched on the floor before a few warm coals. She was looking into the redness, seeing visions of rapture, strange things which could not possibly be true, but these visions warmed her blood and lifted her heart on light and tremulous wings. There was a singing in her ears to which she could never be tired of listening. Chapter 12 Mrs. Make-Believe felt much better the next morning after the extra sleep which she had. She still confessed to a slight pain in her scalp when she brushed her hair, and was a little languid, but not so much as to call for complaint. She sat up in bed while her daughter prepared the breakfast, and her tongue sped as rapidly as heretofore. She said she had a sort of feeling that her brother Patrick must come back from America some time, and she was sure that when he did return, he would lose no time in finding out his relatives and sharing with them the wealth which he had amassed in that rich country. She had memories of his generosity even as a mere infant, when he would always say, No, if only half a potato remained in the dish or a solitary slice of bread was on the platter. She delighted to talk of his good looks and high spirits and of the amazingly funny things he had said and done. There was always, of course, the chance that Patrick had got married and settled down in America, and if so, that would account for so prolonged a silence. Wives always came between a man and his friends, and this woman would do all she could to prevent Patrick benefiting his own sister and her child. Even in Ireland there were people like that— and the more one heard of America, the less one knew what to expect from the strange people who were native to that place. She had often thought she would like to go out there herself, and indeed, if she had a little money, she would think nothing of packing up her things tomorrow and setting out for the States. There were fine livings to be made there, and women were greatly in request, both as servants and wives. It was well known, too, that the Americans loved the Irish, and so there would be no difficulty at all in getting a start. The more she thought of Mrs. O'Connor, the more favorably she pondered on emigration. She would say nothing against Mrs. O'Connor yet, but the fact remains that she had a wart on her cheek and buck teeth. Either of these afflictions, taken separately, was excusable, but together she fancied they betokened a bad, sour nature— but maybe the woman was to be pitied. She might be a nice person in herself, but then there was the matter of the soap, and she was very fond of giving unnecessary orders. However, time would show, and 
clients being as scarce as they were one could not quarrel with one's bread and butter the opening of a door and the stamping downstairs of heavy feet shot mrs make-believe from her bed and into her clothing with furious speed within five minutes she was dressed and after kissing her daughter three times she fled down the stairs and away to her business mary had obtained her mother's consent to do as she pleased with the piece of black velvet on the hem of her sunday skirt so she passed some time in ripping this off and cleaning it it would not come as fresh as she desired and there were some parts of it frayed and rubbed so that the velvet was nearly lost but other portions were quite good and by cutting out the worn parts and neatly joining the good pieces she at last evolved a quite passable sash having the sash ready she dressed herself to see how it looked and was delighted then becoming dissatisfied with the severe method of doing her hair she manipulated it gently for a few minutes until a curl depended by both ears and two or three very tiny ones fluttered above her forehead she put on her hat and stole out walking very gently for fear any of the other people in the house would peep through their doors as she went out walking as gently as she could these bare solid stairs rang loudly to each footfall and so she ended in a rush and was out and away without daring to look if she was observed she had a sort of guilty feeling as she walked which she tried to allay by saying very definitely that she was not doing anything wrong she said to herself with determined candor that she would walk up to the st stephen's green park and look at the ducks and the flower-beds and the eels but when she reached the quays she blushed deeply and turning towards the right went rapidly in the direction of the phoenix park she told herself that she was not going in there but would merely take a walk by the river cross that island bridge and go back on the opposite side of the liffey to the green but when she saw the broad sunlit road gleaming through the big gates she thought she would go for a little way up there to look at the flowers behind the railings as she went in a great figure came from behind the newspaper kiosk outside the gates and followed mary up the road when she paused to look at the flowers the great figure halted also and when she went on again it followed mary walked past the goth statue and turned away into the fields and the trees and here the figure lengthened its stride in the middle of the field a big shadow bobbed past her shoulder and she walked on holding her breath and watching the shadow growing by queer forward jerks in a moment the dull beat of feet on grass banished all thought of the shadow and then there came a cheerful voice in her ears and the big policeman was standing by her side for a few moments they were stationary making salutation and excuse and explanation and then they walked slowly on through the sunshine wherever there was a bush there were flowers on it every tree thronged with birds and sang shrilly and sweetly in sudden thrills and clear sustained melodies but in the open spaces the silence was more wonderful there was no bird note to come between mary and that deep voice no shadow of a tree to swallow up their own two shadows and the sunlight was so mildly warm the air so sweet and pure and the little wind that hushed by from the mountains was a tender and a peaceful wind end of section six